Well, it's great to have you here today. We uh, are talking about the last few weeks where authority comes from and as we look at the real Jesus. And last week we looked at Mark in a passage where it introduces the idea of Jesus' habit of getting away on a regular basis for prayer. And uh, as part of that, we uh, looked at uh, Luke 11 as well. So last week what we did was we discussed along with the, one of the most beautiful stories in all of the, all of the Bible uh, of Jesus and his compassion and love. We looked at the source of Jesus' authority and we looked at the purpose of prayer. We did that by jumping over to Luke 11 where it talks about Jesus' uh, disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus teaches them how to pray and then he goes through the, the day of ministry there doing things all throughout the day of ministry and then he closes his day of uh, teaching by teaching them the purpose of prayer. That's what we discussed last week. The purpose of prayer is to bring the kingdom of God near in our lives, to, to have us have a time to open up to him more than the words we say to allow him to give us perspective in life so that we can follow him. We're going to look at another way that Jesus talks about that today using another visual metaphor in just a moment. But I, I, I told you most of the truth on that last week. I deliberately left out a little bit of peace. We talked last week as we looked at prayer that Jesus started out teaching how to pray that day. At the end, he taught them the purpose of prayer, and in the middle, we got to see the fruit and the results of what prayer is. Let me correct that and make it even more clear. That whole passage in Luke is about prayer. Jesus teaches them about prayer. He ends teaching them the purpose of prayer, but all the way throughout the day, Jesus is demonstrating for us a life of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I used to struggle with, uh, with this scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I'll read the text a little later. I'm out of order already, so we're going to have fun with the day. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. There's this verse that says, pray without ceasing. Frankly, that scripture for a good portion of my life just irked me. Does it you? I mean, how can you do that? How can you, We're supposed to respond in obedience to the Scripture, right? How can you pray without ceasing? That just frustrated me. And so for a good portion of my life, I was weird. Still, well, you may think that. I am, still am, and that's okay if you do. But for a good portion of my life, I was really weird. I used to walk around thinking the only way to apply this life is to constantly, this scripture is to constantly be talking under my breath and praying under my breath and, and worshiping under my breath, constantly doing something. So people, I'd walk around, and I'm sure people looked at me every now and then when I, when I didn't realize people were looking at me and thought, that guy's crazy, he talks to himself. Or they'd see me mumbling and they'd go, what's going on? You got a tick in your mouth? Or what's going on when you're praying under your breath? It was probably, you know, but then I, I ended up, meeting a friend, and his name is Paul Blackwell. This is many years ago. And Paul Blackwell was this guy. He was just he was just this interesting, very interesting guy. He was a vice president of one of the largest nursing health care companies in the nation, and he loved to pray, but he loved to pray while he was driving. And everybody who ever drove with him knew why he prayed while he was driving because he knew why you prayed too. You learned a lot about prayer driving with him because half the time driving with him was like, ah! And so you were praying, right? I mean, he just was... So we used to go and pray together and talk and driving all the time. 
And one day I was talking to him about this and just saying, you know, I, st- I struggle with that whole praying without ceasing. What does, that, what does that mean? What does that look like? And he looked at me while he was driving. And I said, look at the road. No. <laughs> but he looked at me and said, you know what, Ross, when you're sitting there counseling somebody, because I was helping run a counseling center then, when you're sitting there counseling somebody and you say what God wants you to say, do you not think that's prayer? Are you not interceding for that person? When you're sitting at your desk and you're planning this thing, whether it's for your business or for whatever, and you're planning and you're just sitting there with this mind and this heart asking God, I want to do this for your glory and to bless other people's lives. Do you not think that even your actions are prayer? You see, God wants us to live this life of prayer across the spectrum. But what we looked at last week is that Jesus also had this habit where he would withdraw himself from his daily life of prayer to this special, isolated time on a regular basis because he needed that time to bleed the pressure off, to bleed everything, to keep the things from clouding him so that throughout his day he could stay open to what God was wanting to do and what God was wanting to show him. In fact, in John 5.19, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Another way of Jesus talking about this aspect of prayer as a, with a visual metaphor. He, you can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. The purpose of prayer is simply this, to be completely led by him in all of life, to allow ourselves to be open to him that his light, as we talked about last week, shines in every area of our life and we become completely light. That we can see, because of his light, what the Father is doing and sense the Spirit's movement and be led by the Spirit of God. That is what prayer is. And Jesus' disciples say to him, teach us to pray. And then he teaches them what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And it's found in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Luke 11 is a little bit shorter version, and Matthew 6 is closer to what we normally read. And so let me read that that text to you now, Matthew 6. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So Jesus starts out teaching us to pray and it's a common prayer that many of us, if we were in church uh, uh, learned, or we've heard it sung, or we've heard it prayer. And yet Jesus starts, starts with this word that is, if we really understand the importance of it, it's shocking. If we understand the context of of Jesus using this word, it's shocking. He starts it out with this word, our Father, calling God 
his father. In fact, this is a very important thing in the way Jesus thinks about life, thinks about God, and thinks about prayer. Because we see all through the eyewitness accounts that Jesus uses the word father in prayer or in reference to God over 130 times. It's a prominent part of his language, his thought, his process. And the word translated father here is, is actually an Aramaic word. It, it's, it's a word Abba. And when we hear a lot of people talk about it, they'll, they'll talk about it as being a translation of dad or daddy. But it's actually even more primal than that. How many of you in your family have, uh, have different pet names for dad, for mom, for grandpa, for grandma, mima, papa, papa? You have all sorts of weird variations. Now, some of you have had them around for generations, and you probably don't know the origin of it, but how many of you have those names in your family simply because your infant child, before they could say father or daddy, just said whatever they said, and that became your name, right? That's the kind of primal that God is getting at here, that Jesus is getting at. It's, this is, this, it's really this interesting thing because he's actually praying this kind of formal aspect of approach to prayer, and in the middle of it, he puts this informal world, word. And the reason it's such a shock is because in the Jewish world and in the Old Testament, father is never used on a personal basis for someone talking to God. It's used, oh, some, one, one, one guy said it's 14 times. I didn't get a chance to count it. So about 14 times in the Old Testament. But every time it's used in the Old Testament, it's used to talk about father as the father of our nation. It's never used personally. And the reason it wasn't And the reason it was so shocking to the people of Jesus' day is because by declaring that God is your father, you were declaring that you were the son of God and by all rights had inheritance rights to be called equal and inherit everything your father had for you in that day. Can you imagine this for a minute? Imagine it from this perspective. Imagine, imagine you are an orphan or, there, or you're seeing this picture of an orphan who's been neglected and rejected and abused and abandoned and never had anybody to love them. And you see this person, whether a man or, or a woman, come in and, and kneel down before them and say, from this day on, I'm adopting you as my kid. I will love you, I will care for you, I will never give up on you. Everything from this day on that I own, that I have, that I am, is yours. Can you imagine the heart of that orphan? Can you imagine the feelings going through them? Can you imagine what it would be like for them over the next few days and how they would, can you picture how they would interact They'd probably interact like we interact a lot of times with God where we we come close and then we go away and we're not sure we trust and we come in and we press away and we're not really sure but over time this, this loving father, this loving mother who adopts them would be constantly pursuing them and they would become more and more trusting of that love as days and time goes on. And that's the picture that God's inviting us to in prayer. And it's shocking as well, because it doesn't represent the formal religious language of religious duty that most of us think we have to have in prayer. It just says all you have to say is, Dada, that's all. Jesus invites us to a whole new perspective, a whole new level of love and friendship. I was reminded of this last Sunday. Um, I love to go out in the lobby. 
on Sundays and give fives to kids. And a lot of times for the, for the littler ones, I'll get down on my knee. So I got down on my knee last Sunday. I stick out, and you know, Kenzie and Junie are two that love to give me fives. And so I stick out my hand and go, give me a five. And Kenzie comes over and gives me a big old five with a big smile on her face. And then she starts asking all sorts of questions and telling me all about her week, which is, that's totally Kenzie, right? Junie's a little more shy and she comes over and gives me a five. And then I discovered that I'd graduated in Kenzie's eye, in Junie's eyes because Junie gave me a five, smiled at me and leaped at me and gave me a big hug. She's never done that before. And it was so sweet it was so disarming, and it, and it made me think back to my own kids, of walking in the door, of seeing them when they were little, little, little kids, and they were just completely uninhibited. They'd run at you, they'd, they'd grab you, they'd jump on your neck, they'd grab your leg, they'd sit on your foot and smile and laugh, and, and they would just come to you, and they'd just say whatever they could say, and you know, when they're really, really young, you can't even understand half of it, you just kind of guess at most of what they're saying. And it was, it, that, that's the kind of picture God wants to, to see with him. And it doesn't even change for us, even today. So my, my wife teaches at Franklin University, and she teaches a couple different classes there. And a couple weeks ago, in the context of her lecture, because they're talking about personal development and all this kind of stuff and mission statements and, and creating an, uh, positive environments and to work in is what the class she's teaching. That's a weird way to, but that's the easiest way to describe it. So she's talking somehow in the course of the lecture about a habit we have at home where uh, a lot of times at the end of the day we'll look at each other and go, you know, what are the three things you're grateful for? I know a bunch of you probably do that as well, right? So we were sitting there one night talking about this right at, right at bedtime, and just a few minutes earlier, uh, my son, my oldest son, had been downstairs. You know, he's old enough. He goes to bed later than we are. We're just, we're old people now, and we go to sleep, you know, early. And so we're in bed, and, and he comes all the way up from the basement to our room and gives me a hug without me asking for it or initiating it. And I looked at her and I said, that made my day, that made my week. So she's telling this to her students about this. And one of them, they, they come from, you know, it's kind of urban Columbus and a lot of students from that area. And so one of them looks up at Wendy after she gets done telling this. She goes, so you're telling me that when I get old, we're old, so you're telling me when I get old, that's all I have to look forward to? <laughs> and in the, uh, in the words of our uh, young at heart eldest elder, Walt Miller, yeah, boy, <laughs> that's what we get to look forward to. It is one of the greatest things in life. And the beauty of this is today, as we talk about this, for you, those of you who grew up without great dads or great moms, God's inviting you to take all the hopes, all the passion, all the longings, all the missed dreams that you wanted to have and to take them to him and allow him to be the kind of dad that you never had, that you always wanted. And that's not a hard thing. But we make prayer a hard thing. Let's think about it more. How many of you have been to Chuck E. Cheese with your kids? Or some other place like that, the fair or whatever. So when your kids want something, 
Do they come to you and start off by saying, Oh, dear, holy, righteous Father, Master of my domain, I beseecheth thee in all of your great wisdom and all of your great power from ancient of days, because even if you're 20 and you've got a toddler, you're old, right? So you're ancient of days. In all of your glory and power to give me a pop and a hot dog. I pray in the matchless name of the one who provides all that I have and all that I am. (laughs) Do your kids come to you that way? Phil wishes they would. (laughs) No, they come up to you, Daddy, 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 may, because they're all polite, they use proper grammar, may I have some pop, please, because they always say please, right? No. They just come up to you and go, Daddy, Daddy, I want some pop. I want a hot dog. Can I, can I, can I, can I? Right? And they're pulling on your leg and they're grabbing on you and they're sitting on your foot making you say, Go that way, Dad. There's the pop. And when kids are uncertain and they're scared, they come to you and they grab your leg and hang on. They grab your hand or they jump into your arms and they want you to hold them, right? And maybe as we mature... Maybe we do need to learn proper grammar and please and some different ways of saying things. But God is inviting us to go back to that infant idea of who he is in our comfort and our response to him and in the way we approach him in that informal, loving way. And when we step back into the eyewitness account in Mark that we read last week and that we've been basing our whole series on, And we step back to where we left off where Jesus is taking time away into the desert to pray. It's only a few days earlier that he was affirmed as the son in whom I am well pleased, the father says to him. And this habit of him stepping away is this habit of him stepping back into that sonship, that daughtership, that father relationship with God on a regular basis. And even if you aren't living really well, Even if you're not doing things well, God has favor on you and looks looks at you lovingly. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, if your child misbehaves, you don't fire him like an employee. They never fall out of the family. When you go into prayer knowing your relationship with God as Abba, you come with the language of intimacy, of realness, of comfort, of an assumption of love and care. If you don't know him as Abba, as Dada, then when things are going wrong, when you are in sin or when you are weak, you don't, come, you don't pray to God like a father or you avoid God and you don't come to him or don't come to church. And that simply shows that you don't understand who he really is. And it simply shows that you're still caught in religion instead of knowing the gospel, knowing the good news knowing the good Father, that we don't understand God and we don't understand Christianity. Because, he goes on to say, if you understand He is your Father, your weakness and your failure doesn't shrink your relationship and who you are. It grows your relationship and who you are. Because kids always run to their good dad when they mess up, when they're afraid, when they're hurt, When there are questions, they always run to their good dad. And a good dad, and God is the best, 
runs to us as well in our weakness. Now, when we look at this and the whole idea of Father, it's not a formula. It's not something that we always do. In fact, if you've ever seen a, uh, there's a comedy skit by Tim Hawkins where he makes fun of praying with our, everybody who says our Father about every third word in their prayers. You know, it's, it's not a formula. It's not something, it, it is just a perspective that God is giving us that prayer begins in reorienting our relationship with God. If we never use the word Father, it doesn't matter. It's all about reorienting our relationship with God. Paul in Romans 8.15 talks about it this way. He says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you slave again to fear. You see, in religion, we are nervous about prayer. We're concerned that we're not going to say things right or do things right. We're nervous that we become a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship, it's what Paul goes on to say, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. He uses the same word. The Spirit himself testifies. We are God's children Paul reinforces Jesus' teaching that that we start by seeing God as an infant does their dad. And that prayer as well, he reinforces, as we talked about last week, is about more about experiencing the presence of God and knowing him than it is about what we say and what we get answers on. But there's also another huge lesson that Paul emphasizes here along with the Lord's Prayer. And it's this. It's by the Spirit What does it say? It says, we, we cry, Abba, Father. The Lord's Prayer says, our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus in teaching and Paul in teaching us how to pray confronts what one of our big perspectives. We think of prayer as an individual sport, something we do on our own. And Jesus says, no, you learn to pray by our and us. Paul says, you learn to pray when the Spirit takes us together and we cry out to him. Why? Well, the way that was talked about when I was growing up in church was it's a sign of spiritual maturity when we can first start to pray out loud in front of other people. And maybe there's a little bit in there. But if we go back again to the purpose of prayer and understand that the purpose of prayer is to experience the presence of God, his light, to see what the Father's doing to be led by the Spirit of God, to open ourselves and be holy in His light and not have any part of ourselves covered or hidden, then we learn that best in a group. We learn to understand when God's speaking to us by praying with others in a group and and realizing that others are hearing the same thing or or when we pray for someone and God gives us a picture or gives us a word or gives us a scripture to share or or just has us pray a certain thing that, that God's presence shows up and somebody else senses it and feels it. We learn together to understand the presence of God when we pray together more so than even when we pray alone. Because when you pray alone, you're going to be sitting there the whole time going, is this my thought or is this pizza or is this a bad day? Is this, what, is this what I want or is this really God? But when we pray together, we really learn to hear God. 
And you see, if we think of God as Abba, as Dada, as we go to him, we don't have to be worried about whether we're going to say the right words. And we don't have to be worried about whether when we pray together we're going to even be off kilter and say something wrong or go down the wrong path. It doesn't matter. How many of you have ever had toddlers? Toddlers are, are really curious and they always want to run in the street, right? I don't know what it is. You can have a nice big front green lawn, but toddlers always want to run in the street. And so, if you're like me and a lot of other parents when you were young, how did you, what did you do? Did you grab them? Did you spank them? Did you yell at them? No, you just stand between them and the street, and you go, danger. And then they try to get around you, and you just go, nope. And you redirect them, and you get in front of them, and you just redirect them, and eventually they learn, kind of like the invisible fence with dogs, that they can't go past that point. And if we see God as a loving Father, then we don't have to worry when we pray with one another whether we're hearing Him right or going down the right path or not because He is a loving Father is going to be there to redirect us. And we can just trust Him. We can take risks. We can pursue Him. Jesus reinforces this in Matthew 18, 20. He says, where two or three of you come together in my name, there I am with them. You see, prayer in a religious mindset makes us nervous to pray in front of others. And our focus in prayer becomes more about what we're saying and doing and what we are needing than on receiving and experiencing. And there's no place like praying in a group to learn to receive and experience and understand the leading of the Spirit in our lives. You know, I want to encourage you those of you who are in quest groups and those of you who are out, I want to encourage you in the groups of people you pray with and the groups that you go to, I want to encourage you to consider a quest group. But when you go there, don't just get together and take prayer requests and one person pray over it. Don't just get together and take prayer requests and take the sheets of paper home and pray for them during the week, which is, that's a good thing. It helps us to remember to follow through, right? So I'm not saying those are bad things. But break down in groups of two and three and take some time Not just to pray the first thing that comes to mind, but take some time to say, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and help me see what the Father sees. Help me see what you're doing. Help me understand what you're saying. Help me understand where your light is being shined on this circumstance. And then take a risk and see what happens. But if you don't take a risk in a group, you'll very rarely learn to understand the Spirit's leading in your life. Jesus is teaching us to pray. Paul is teaching us about prayer. And they both use we and us. Not me, not you, not mine. Teaching, prayer, learning prayer happens with other people. The Lord's Prayer moves on, and we're not going to deal with this fully because sometime we're probably going to do a whole series just on the Lord's Prayer. But I just want to briefly touch it. It moves on and says, Hallowed be your name. And it moves, it's interesting because it moves from this whole reorientation to this God as this data to reminding ourselves again that he is this holy, pure, righteous, all-powerful, perfect, loving, awesome definition of good. So not only is this person, is he this person who is ultimately approachable and loves us, but he is the one who we can trust with everything and all the answers. And it invites us to worship him and honor him, to to bleed our stress off to the only one who can handle it and the only one who can truly bring the answers. It's perspective. 
goes on, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been talking and we'll talk more about the kingdom being here and breaking in into our reality. And, and Jesus is inviting us simply in, in this idea of thinking to, to think about the fact of we should expect his kingdom to break in. We should expect his power to come. We should expect answers to happen and resolution to happen and healing and deliverance and opportunity and favor. We can expect those things. So we come into prayer with that bent of expecting him to show up. And then it goes on and says, give us this day our daily bread. And that one's kind of puzzling to me. You know, I mean, especially in light of this. The, the very verses right before Jesus starts to teach prayer. I mean, just a few sentences before Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. In Matthew 6, 8, it says this, the Father knows we need it before we even ask. So why ask? Why do we need to ask? Why should we ask, give us our daily bread? And it's simply this. He wants to invite us back into two mindsets, one of constant gratefulness to him. Because he's a good dad, he knows what we need, and he's constantly supplying us. He wants to teach us that relationship, that perspective of gratefulness and thankfulness, that we turn to him for our needs to be met. And he wants to reorient ourselves, have us constantly reorient ourselves to the fact that we are simply just stewards. We don't own a thing. All of it is God's. And he wants to remind us that we're stewards of it. So we ask as a way of acknowledging the fact that it's his anyway. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's just getting us back to the work of the kingdom we talked about. That Jesus, what Jesus came to do is to bring forgiveness and lead us out of the trap of sin. And he wants us to do that. And that's not easy for us. Forgiveness is easier in some ways, sometimes, but not always for us to receive. But it's not always easy to give because it hurts. Because we're constantly being offended. Because stuff doesn't go away. It keeps happening. And sometimes we don't think these people around us who are hurting us are ever going to change. And it's a weight. It's a weight that we carry. And he's inviting us to move past that weight in prayer to set that weight aside because if we don't take intentional times away with him to set that weight off to the side, we will carry it and it will become second nature and we'll be blinded by it and we won't even know we're carrying it. And so he's inviting us when we do pray to ask him, what are the weights that we're carrying? What are the offenses we're carrying? What's the pain we're carrying? And to set it aside and instead to act like him in those difficult relationships to offer relationship above the differences because we've walked in prayer and you know what you can't do it i can't do it none of us can do it without prayer we can't forgive we can't let go of those things goes on and says and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil from the evil one reminding us that This is a spiritual battle. It's not just that evil is this unknown, impersonal entity. There is a reality of evil in the battle. And he's asking us to be reminded of that and to come to him and say, Lord, 
with a simple prayer on a regular basis. Lord, deliver me from evil. There's so much more we could talk about. But Jesus is not giving us a formula for prayer in and of itself. But when he teaches us to pray, he's teaching us the focus and the intent of how to pray, the attitudes of the relationship. For Jesus here and everywhere that he teaches about it, it's based in close, intimate relationship with a father that we call Abba. If you can come, Dusty. Let me ask this question. I want you to, I want you to ponder this now for a second. I want you to think about this question maybe as part of some of your own reflection time this week. How have you treated prayer as something other than coming to your dad at the most basic, trusting, joy-filled, and expectant level? How have you treated prayer as something other than coming to your dada at the most basic, trusting, joyful, and expectant level? It's a powerful question that God will God will move in your own life if you allow him to come and answer that with you. And now time for some truth and dare. I hate truth and dare, but I'm going to do it anyway this morning. Truth. In times of great stress, don't you just wish you could be carefree like an infant with their, with their good dad or their good mom? When you're under pressure, don't you wish you could just be carefree We're sons and daughters of the God of the universe if you've chosen to be adopted into his family by following Christ. I want to dare you to experience God in prayer in a more fully, more different than you've ever experienced him. That you don't approach prayer to assuage guilt or to to attempt to gain favor, but that you learn to view him as a father. I don't care if you're five, if you're 10, if you're 50, if you're 90 years old. To go back to that image of this loving, accepting father of an infant child who can completely trust, can completely claw up in his arms and grab hold of his lips and stick your fingers in the nose and talk to him however you want. And just the informality, the closeness, the tenderness. In fact, I know we've done this two weeks in a row and we weren't going to do this every week, but I want you to close your eyes. Not because closing your eyes makes you more spiritual in prayer. You don't have to close your eyes to be spiritual in prayer. I just want you to close your eyes because, well, I'm going to ask you to meditate. And as you meditate, I'm going to ask you to allow God and invite the Spirit to come and give you a picture of what that would look like if Jesus were here now coming to you as your Abba, as your Dada taking your cares, taking your concerns, taking your hurt, taking your confusion, and just making it better. What would that picture look like to you? Can you sit with it for a moment?
invite you to this week close your eyes and do that exercise a number of times with your concerns. To start your times of prayer this week or your times alone or your times in the car when you're by yourself driving, just keep your eyes open on that one if you wouldn't mind. But just invite the Spirit to come to you and show you what it would be like to relate to Him with that level of freedom and informality and closeness and love. It's interesting. Jesus goes straight from the Lord's Prayer and, to lead us, uh, and talking about leading us not into temptation but delivering us from the evil one into the next few verses here, verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Today we celebrate communion. And His grace is abundant. His grace is free. His desire to be close to you is far beyond even the greatest desire that I have and the joy that I have when my kids give me a hug and come to me while his grace is free it's not cheap he's paid a great price for it and he knows that your freedom is going to be found in paying that same price to not only be forgiven which this offers as a remembrance that he does forgive you but he wants to invite you to forgive those regardless of whether they are changing acting right behaving right. He's inviting you to forgive those who have sinned against you. And to not foolishly, but in the same way as he offers a relationship to us when we choose him freely and fully and amazingly for you to offer the same kind of relationship to the people who have offended you and hurt you. That's the life Jesus lived before us in the way he treated the, the people who betrayed him, in the way he restored people who betrayed him in the way he pursued people who were arguing with him and was patient and kind with them. That's what his life meant. That's what it's for. And if the people who are helping to serve communion could come, I want to invite you today to two things. I want to invite you to see this loving, loving Father who doesn't matter what you've done. He hasn't fired you from the family. He's inviting you to his arms. Again, And again, and again, it doesn't matter how many times he has to step in front of you and redirect you. He's patient. He's there. He's looking for your hug. And he's looking to give you a hug. I want you to come with that, and I want you to come as well and just say, God, would you please help me forgive the people in my life who have hurt me, who I struggle with, the people who annoy me. Would you help me live a life of forgiveness towards them? That's what we get to remember today. Go ahead and come as we celebrate communion. For some of you, probably spent your life a lot like me. When you sing a song like that, you go, Lord, have mercy. Please have mercy on me. And it comes from this heart of almost begging, hoping that someone will really truly love me and do it. 
We've talked many times, we'll talk more because it's such an important issue in life that how we view God is the most important thing in all of life. It affects everything about life. And when we can learn to look at God from an infant's eyes, who just feels completely loved, completely accepted, completely adored, and come to him as a dada. We can't even say things properly yet. It changes everything for us. It changes the way we approach guilt. It changes the way we approach forgiveness. It changes the way we approach the relationships around us. And that's the invitation this week, is that you would learn to love this dad who just loves your presence wants you to come to him. It doesn't matter if your words are right. It doesn't matter if you head off in the wrong direction. He's there for you. He just wants you to come to him. Lord, thank you so much for your gracious kindness to us. Lord, I pray specifically for anyone here who um, who really struggles, with, who, who may be struggling with that right now, going, I don't know. Lord, I pray that your spirit would come now to them and come throughout this week and that you would give them pictures and give them feelings and giving give them hope of how they can come to you like a dada. Completely helpless, completely vulnerable, but be and be completely loved by you. In Jesus' name. If you came here and uh, would like prayer, we would love to pray for you or grab a friend next to you and take some time to pray for each other. Would you do that this week? God bless you.